Welcome in to Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace. Coming at you, it is Friday, July 7th. How's it been going, guys? It's been a little bit of time. I, I actually had to, you know, obviously missed about a week of NBA content. Some of the biggest NBA content of the entire year because we are a full week into NBA free agency. But as you can probably tell if you're watching on the YouTube, I am back home in Massachusetts. I'm not in my normal office at my apartment in Texas, of course. So I uh, was doing a bit of traveling, spent time with family and friends. That's why I clearly have this East Coast glow going on right here, if I do say so myself. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun the past week or so. Obviously, could have got out an episode right before free agency started. But outside of that really weird John Collins trade, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Uh, so I wanted to hold off. And here we are about a week later. And boy, do we have a ton of shit to get into today. Um, what I wanted to go through, of course, is, is free agency, right? I have for you my list of the five most interesting teams of free agency ready to go that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. But before we can get into that, we have some very notable trade requests that have not been met yet, we'll say. We have two unhappy superstars that want to go to different teams, and let's get right into that because it, you know, the Damian Lillard saga mainly has dominated the headlines today. It's dominated the headlines the past couple of days, um, and we still do not have a resolution to Dame wanting out of Portland. I know a couple episodes ago I said I was kind of bored by the whole Dame thing, like, oh, does he want to be there? Does he not want to be there? Like, oh, it's, it's not that impactful, right? Like, I think Dame's really good, but there aren't a lot of suitors for him, and I just don't know if he's going to end up moving the needle for a championship team but that tone has shifted because these demands have gotten really nasty really quick and I think it might really change the way we look at trade requests in the NBA originally about a week ago uh, the news broke that Dame had publicly requested a trade from the Portland Trailblazers so pretty surprising because again this is a guy that you know never wanted to run from the grind if you will he was extremely loyal spending his first 11 seasons in Portland obviously he's still a superstar asset he's one of the most fun players to watch in the entire league he had a 70 point game last season he averaged over 32 points a game for the Trailblazers you could argue he's coming off of maybe the best season of his entire career which is really special but of course Portland didn't even make the play-in tournament. They were a bottom feeder team. That's how they ended up with, what, the third pick in the NBA draft um, just a couple of weeks ago at this point. So, yeah, it's not that surprising that a guy like Damian Lillard would eventually want out of Portland. Uh, but here we are nonetheless. So, I do think it's pretty interesting that... Uh, not only did he request a trade from the Portland Trailblazers, but it has gotten to the point where he is demanding he gets sent to only the Miami Heat. Of course, a team that just played in the NBA Finals. A guy like Dame could eventually help get them over the hump and make them a, of course, very real title contender. They already clearly are contending for a title with how close they came last season. But this is really setting a new precedent for what's going on in the NBA, right? Normally, you know, the player and power movement started with LeBron and the decision. And, you know, once you hit free agency, you have the power to sign with any team you want, which kind of changed the landscape of the NBA. But things have progressed, you know, over the past decade or so to the point where players have maybe too much power because these trade requests and, and the, you know, the threat of even holding out from playing any sort of basketball from your team if, if your trade request is not met has made things really nasty. And I think it's to the point where the league needs to step in because, you know, it's one thing for a guy like Bradley Beal just a couple weeks ago who basically forced his way into Phoenix. He forced a trade into Phoenix, which makes a lot of sense, because he had at least negotiated a no-trade clause in his contract. So the team literally could not trade Bradley Beal without his permission. So if he wanted to get traded, he would have to approve it, right? And so he said he wanted to go to Phoenix. Washington's like, well, if we want to get rid of him, we have to 
you know, trade him to his team of choice. The deal gets done and he gets sent to Phoenix. That all makes sense. That's really just Washington's fault for being dumb enough to give Bradley Beal a no trade clause in the first place, which we talked about last episode. But this is entirely different because Dame literally just signed a two year max extension last this time last year. So exactly a year ago, he, he smacked on an extra two years onto his deal that will keep him under contract through the 26-27 season. So he has a full four years left on his contract not even close to free agency, and he says, not only do I want you to trade me, you have to trade me to the Miami Heat. And this shit really pisses me off, man, because I love Dame. Dame is one of my favorite players in the league. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the entire NBA. He's a guy that was honestly really hard to dislike. Like, if you had a beef with Dame, maybe he just, you know, maybe you're like a big Paul George guy, and you didn't like him waving goodbye at Paul George after he drilled that, you know, 40-foot buzzer beater in his face a couple years ago. But beyond that... Dame didn't have a lot of haters, but now his approval rating is certainly at an all-time low because this is really shitty. You know, I don't know if he's getting... This is obviously coming from Dame. He clearly wants to play for Miami. Is this the best way to get him there, though? Like, I don't know. Like, his agent is... is You know, they've said that they've discouraged other teams from even, you know, trying to trade from Damian Lillard because he's going to be an uninterested player. And basically, it came out today that they're saying he might not play at all if he's not playing for the Miami Heat. So if, if Portland decides to just keep him, he said they won't he won't play for Portland. If a team like Philadelphia decides to trade for a Damian Lillard, they will be getting a player that's going to be basically a Ben Simmons who just sits out. Like, that's basically what they're saying. And this is a huge shift, again, from a guy that didn't want to run from the grind to I literally will not play basketball for any other team. I don't even know if I buy that shit because obviously it's, you know, it reminds you of the Ben Simmons situation, right? He didn't want to play in Philadelphia. He ended up holding out on his contract and he sat out the majority of a season before eventually getting traded to Brooklyn. But at least in the case of Ben Simmons, I know he was dealing with physical health issues and mental health issues and all that stuff, but he didn't say, Hey, you have to trade me to Brooklyn. He just said, I don't want to play in Philadelphia. This has run its course. That's one thing, right? You could argue that's bad too, because he was, had just signed a max contract and he should have to honor that contract. This is, this is worse because they are literally removing all leverage from Portland in this situation. Now, I get it. Portland wants to do right by a guy like Dame Lillard, who has been the face of that franchise for over the past 10 years. He's been everything that city has wanted and needed, and he's honestly one of the best Blazers all time. He's probably a top five Blazer all time, right up there with Bill Walton and uh, Clyde Drexler, and, and you could probably put Dame right at number three, I would imagine, right? But that being said, that doesn't mean that they have to meet this request. They, If they have a guy like Damian Lillard, who again, averaged over 32 points a game last season under contract, it should be the front office's job to be like, okay, understand what that you're at a different point in your career. You want to contend for a championship. Doesn't look like we can do that here. They should try to meet that request, in my opinion. But they should also try to get as much for that asset as humanly possible. They should try to accumulate young talent. They should try to accumulate as much draft capital as possible. Dame is still a valuable asset, and him asking to go to Miami, ironically enough, a team that doesn't have a whole lot they can offer for Dame. You know, is it Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry, and you smush those contracts together? You know, is that does that get the deal done? Because frankly, the draft capital that Miami can offer is never going to be that great. Miami's a freaking awesome team. They never bottom out. At best, you're going to be getting mid to late first round picks over the next couple years if you are able to recoup that draft capital. So that's not great for Portland either. It's really, really got their hands tied behind their back. And I do think it's to the point where the league should step in. 
there is no way that players should be able to completely ignore the contract. Like, they're making so, so much money. And that is what the market demands. That's because the league is such a, a money maker, such a powerhouse. I understand why the players make as much as they do. But the fact that these contracts might as well be written in crayon because these guys can just crumple them up and say, send me to Team X. I think that it's really important that the league is delicate with how they handle this and I don't really exactly know what they can do to prevent Dame from having his way to go to Miami. Maybe if they can fine him or punish him for like, hey, you cannot physically tell these teams that you will not play for them. You cannot threaten to not play without having your contract voided either way because this is not a precedent that we can allow. If we have guys saying, not only do you have to trade me with multiple years left in my contract, but I only want to go to this one team, that is going to be terrible for the league moving forward. So... The Dame storyline that I was bored with a couple weeks ago, I am completely interested by because I, I think it's really fascinating to see how the league handles this. It's fascinating that Dame is so hellbent on getting to Miami. I don't know what. Of course, they're a great team and they have a, a fantastic coach. And uh, obviously, heat culture is a real thing, right? We just saw it firsthand on, with how they finished this last season making it to the NBA Finals. But there are a lot of other teams that if they were to acquire a guy like Damian Lillard that could contend for a title, right? If Philadelphia swaps out James Harden for Damian Lillard, maybe that gets him over the hump. You know, maybe Milwaukee looks to kind of retool and get a guy with a little bit more offensive firepower. I hope my Celtics don't make a trade for Damian Lillard, but like, you know, you, you do a Jalen Brown, Damian Lillard swap. Where does that get Boston? They'd be a contender. Like there are a lot of other destinations out there where Dame can contend for a championship. So the fact that he is being so stern with his request is really fascinating stuff. So that's that's kind of the headline, right? Dame Dame's trying to run from the grind. He's trying to go to South Beach. He's trying to take his talents to Miami. Uh, it'll be really fascinating to see what what and how this storyline plays out. So let's move on. Uh, we did Dame was not the only player that uh, requested a trade within the last week or so, uh, and I have of course talking about the James Harden trade request volume three. Yes, that is right. That is the third time in James Harden's career that he has requested a trade, and he just kind of stabbed his guy, Daryl Morey, in the back for the second time. Let's kind of run through it, right? Of course, what I'm talking about, he, he bullied his way out of Houston. Daryl Morey was the president of basketball operations and essentially the general manager of the Houston Rockets, you know, during Harden's tenure there. He, you know, basically puts on a fat suit, right? He looks totally disinterested, bullies his way to get to Brooklyn, lasts about a season in Brooklyn, and then the Kyrie stuff starts to go south, asks for a trade from Brooklyn, ends up in Philadelphia, and he, basically a week ago, opted in to his player option for this upcoming season, and then requested a trade. So, it is pretty interesting to see that he did decide to go the opt-in, then request a trade route, kind of along the same lines as Dame, that like, hey, let me get my money first, and then I will figure out what team I want to play for. That's kind of been the way the league has been trending with this player empowerment movement and whatnot. And Harden was like, let's do it. Let's let's do this one more time, right? Basically, I think if he, you know, was were to sign a free agent contract, the market for James Harden isn't what he hoped it would be at this point in time. It seems like the market was probably a little bit low, um, certainly than him and his agents had hoped. So that's probably why he requested, you know, decided to opt in, take his money for this season, bet on himself and request a trade. Now, Harden has made it clear that his intentions are to play for the Los Angeles Clippers. I find that pretty funny. A guy that's basically been a walking, terrible vibe over the last couple seasons requests to go to the Clippers that have been essentially cursed and have two superstar players that, when healthy, are super talented, but then normally cannot even get onto the court. So I think that that's pretty funny. I don't know, man. I, I think it's just... You know, it puts Philly in a, in a pretty tough spot. Obviously, they're going to have a completely different roster next season. They're going to have a different coaching staff. I, I believe Nick Nurse is over there in Philadelphia now. And now they're going to be without their co-star for Joel Embiid. 
it'll be interesting to see that if if you know Philadelphia at this point in time I would could care less about Harden's trade request unless he goes you know really tries to damage his value and discourage any other team from trading for him that's not the Clippers just like Dame's doing maybe they'll just kind of copy each other in that regard but if I'm Philadelphia I'm just trying to get as much possible assets for James Harden maybe you just try to break him up into a couple young role players that can kind of step in and you can kind of build around Joel Embiid and then have hope that Tyrese Maxey kind of takes that next leap but Philadelphia kind of has their hands tied as well they're not as, as bad of a situation as Portland is with the whole trade request thing but it is always funny that you know James Harden he has his guy Daryl Moore there he decides to screw him over one last time and if you are one of those teams that might be interested in a guy like James Harden, like obviously he's still playing at a, a borderline all-star level. You could argue that he had the best playoff game of his entire career in game one against the Celtics just a couple months ago. So he does have value, but like who's to say he won't do this a fourth time? It, you know, if this trade request is met, right? Like the guy's never happy. I don't know if he's chasing, you know, just purely money. If he is interested in trying to contend for a championship because he's never really come that close. Uh, but it is interesting to see how this is going to play out in Philly. So, of course, we had to start with the two unhappy uh, superstar and trade request storylines that have been dominating the headlines. But let's move on to free agency. So what I put together for you guys today is a list of what I think are the five most interesting teams of NBA free agency. So we've had a million signings. It, it's really not worth your time or my time for me to read through all the deals that took place. But I did kind of narrow down five teams that... You know, let's kind of go through the move that they've made over the past couple weeks. Uh, you know, look at it in totality. Look at what the finances look like and, and kind of why I'm so interested in these teams. So here I am yet again talking about the Dallas Mavericks. So let's just kind of go through the transactions first. They signed Seth Curry to a two-year, $9 million contract. They re-signed Dante Exum, just kind of a, a you know bottom-of-the-roster player at this point in his career. Of course, they acquired Rashawn Holmes in that draft night trade with the Kings. They re-signed Kyrie Irving to a three-year, $126 million contract. They bring back my guy uh, and Ian's guy as well. Shout out my guy, Ian. Uh, Dwight Powell, he's back again on a three-year, $12 million contract. And most recently, they actually acquired Grant Williams from the Boston Celtics in a sign-and-trade and then subsequently signed him to a four-year, $54 million contract. So let's start off with the Grant Williams thing. Um, I will be talking about this from the Celtics perspective toward the end of the episode. But as far as the Mavericks go, I really like the signing for them to pick up a guy like Grant Williams. You know, Boston was only able to recoup a couple of second round picks in return because, again, this was a sign and trade. Grant was a free agent. He could have just outright signed with Dallas, but to make some of the finances work out a little bit more and give Boston some sort of compensation, at least they got a couple of second round picks. But Grant Williams, I think, immediately steps into that team and plays an important role as a 3 and D option, as a guy that can provide some positional flexibility if they want to go small. He can obviously guard bigger defenders as well. And he's a really solid three-point shooter. I would expect him to actually start for the Mavericks as well. You know, of course, I think the headline of that group is them obviously re-signing Kyrie Irving. But the question I would ask is, at what cost? That is a massive contract for Kyrie Irving. It's not really worth getting into just how unreliable he's been over the past really five or so years at this point in time, but for three years and $126 million, my question for Dallas is, you know, who are you competing with at that point, right? Like, yes, I have to give them credit because I do think that this contract is better than having Kyrie go sign with any other team because then, again, like I've been talking about for months on this podcast, I didn't like the deal that they made where they traded Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and a future first-round pick because you're trading for the most unreliable guy, in the NBA, essentially. I know he's super talented, but he's super unreliable. 
you're really trying to just keep Luka happy and put guys around him that are reliable that you want to go to battle with. I don't think Kyrie is one of those guys. Um, and I think that you're taking a massive risk because he's so unpredictable. You don't know if you're actually going to be able to re-sign him over, you know, at the end of this upcoming season. And so you could end up losing that asset and, and basically punting Finney Smith, Dinwiddie, and a first-round pick away for nothing that you have on your roster within a couple months. So it was really important that Dallas maintain Kyrie Irving. They were able to do that. But I do just think it's funny because what other team was going to pay Kyrie even close to that much money? We could pretend that Kyrie's weird and he's unpredictable and, you know, we don't know exactly what, what wets his whistle, if you will, right? He's all high and mighty. He's a spiritual guy, whatever. But he he's about his paper. This like it, Just like every other player in the NBA, he's not going to turn down a shitload of money to play for a team and play for an organization that makes him happier. That's just not what's going to happen. That's originally why he asked out of Brooklyn last season, right? He wanted an extension in the middle of last season. Brooklyn was like, hell no, we're not going to give that to you. Or I think that they actually did make him an offer, but they put in some clauses about him having to play in a certain number of the games to get his compensation, which is super reasonable. And I would probably do the same if I was the front office and Kyrie wasn't having that. He wanted it guaranteed. So he asked out of there. So it is funny that there was a storyline about a week ago as well that Kyrie, you know, wanted to meet with the Suns and he was interested in joining Kevin Durant in Phoenix. But it's like, what? You're going to get a, a $10 million a year contract from Phoenix at most? Like, Phoenix is so tapped financially. They're so, I, I believe they're going to be up against that second apron in short order if they're not already. They don't have the money to pay for a guy like Kyrie Irving. So I literally laughed when I saw that that storyline was picking up traction because I'm like, he's not taking a mid-level exception to, to, to play with his guys. Like, as much as he can say he wants to compete for a championship and play alongside his buddy Kevin Durant again, which is interesting that they would even want to play each other with how it ended in Brooklyn, he's not going to do something like that. So, yes, Dallas, you kept Kyrie Irving, but you did overpay him. You just have to hope that because he has his money, maybe maybe you, you're from the school of thought that it'd be more likely that he doesn't screw you over in the end. But as we know, it's a dice roll with Kyrie, but at least you were able to keep him. I think what I'm most excited about with the list of transactions is the first thing that I said, the Seth Curry two years for $9 million. That is an absolute steal for a guy like Seth Curry. Of course, he's had a previous tenure with the Mavericks where he was pretty solid. I think him, just his being a movement shooter, being a guy that, to knock down open shots at a really high rate, um, you know, Having, you know, obviously it's going to be tricky to play him alongside a guy like Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic because, you know, who the hell is going to guard anybody on the perimeter. But as far as an offensive threat and a guy that can provide an immediate spark off the bench, I love, love, love the Seth Curry signing. Would have loved to see my Celtics pick up a guy like that. But yeah, I mean, again, in totality, they signed Seth Curry. They signed Dante X and Rashawn Holmes for the bottom of the roster. Resigned Dwight Powell. Sign and trade for Grant Williams. And they signed Kyrie Irving. Overall, outside of the Kyrie overplay... I still really like what Dallas has done this offseason. And then again, you have to remember they took Derek Lively, the center out of Duke with the 12th pick in the draft. They got uh, Olivier Maxens Prosper with like in the uh, pick in the mid-20s from that trade with the Kings. They're going to have a lot of young talent on this team now with those two rookies coming in. And just in general, this team looks so much better than it did last season. Like, they had dudes like Reggie Bullock playing 30 minutes a game now. Obviously, you'd like to see them still pick up one more center in case Lively isn't ready to play right away. Because, again, Dwight Powell's terrible. You don't need to hear me say that a hundredth time on this podcast. But just in general, man, like, I'm not saying Dallas is necessarily going to contend for a championship next season. I don't know if they're on that level. But as much as I am a bit of a Mavericks hater at this point in my life, it is not because of 
the way I feel about Luka Doncic. Like, Luka is so talented. I think he's comfortably, like, a top three player in the entire world. I think he's the only guy you can even put on the same tier of guys like Jokic and Giannis at this point in time. I think he really is that special. So him just having, like, serviceable talent around him and a couple guys that can defend, you know, the rookie they got in, in Omax should, is supposed to be a really good perimeter defender. We know Grant Williams defends at a really high level, right? Uh, bringing in another, you know, center that's not Dwight Powell and Derek Lively is going to be beneficial. And Rashawn Holmes can provide more front court depth. And then you have more shooting with securing Kyrie and Seth Curry around him. I just think that this Mavericks team, you know, they're not perfect, but they're a heck of a lot better than they were at this time last season. And I would expect them to return to being a prominent, prominent team in the Western Conference. I would probably guess they finish around the four or the five spot in the West. Uh, but I think they have the upside to be even better than that. So overall, you overpaid for Kyrie Irving. At least you kept them. And I really like what, what they've done on the offseason as a whole. The next team that we're going to talk about, again, a team that I really like the moves that they're making, the Los Angeles Lakers, man. They've, had, they've been very busy since the start of free agency. So let's run through the transactions right now. First, they sign Rui Hachimura to a three-year deal at a value of $51 million. So, you know, comes out to roughly $17 million a year for Rui. They sign Jackson Hayes to a two-year, $4 million contract. Torian Prince to a one-year, $4 million contract. They re retained Austin Reeves at a pretty good bargain at four years, $56 million. Cam Reddish, they brought in for a bottom-of-the-bench guy, two years, $4 million. They re-signed D'Angelo Russell for two years, $37 million. And, of course, they signed Gabe Vincent to a three-year, $33 million contract. Let's start with, the, with at the top with Rui. You know, I don't necessarily love the amount that they signed Rui Hachimura for. It's crazy how much his value increased just throughout the playoffs, right? They acquired Rui for a couple second-round picks at the trade deadline. Ended up being a massive part of their playoff rotation. You know, basically, Vanderbilt didn't play whatsoever against the Nuggets and uh, the round before that as well. And Rui kind of stepped in and was a really fantastic shooter against the Grizzlies as he, as he was against the Nuggets. Just somebody at his size basically being six foot nine to knock down shots at the level that he did during the postseason. He earned himself a pretty big contract. I don't know if he'll end up living up to that. But the nice thing is he is a good offensive complement to Jared Vanderbilt, who they still have under contract. Vanderbilt, obviously a really, you know, unique positional defender, uh, can guard basically one through five on the court. And if he's not being able to knock down his shots and teams are forcing Jared Vanderbilt to shoot, they have the ability to sub in Rui Hachimura to provide that size. You're not losing a lot of size or rebounding, but you are gaining a lot of offensive firepower in that. Jackson Hayes, he's really just a guy to eat up minutes at the center position, but he is young. He is athletic. You know, he can step in and hopefully take some of the burden off Anthony Davis during the regular season. Getting Torian Prince for $4 million on a one-year contract is an absolute steal. That's just kind of the tax that you get that guys want to play with LeBron. They want to live in Los Angeles. They want to play for the Lakers. I don't think he get he's that cheap anywhere else, so that's kind of the Lakers leveraging how much people want to play there uh, but a really really great pickup for a wing off the bench that can immediately play real minutes for the Lakers love the Torian Prince signing the Austin Reeves thing is is pretty interesting right he was a, a, a restricted free agent essentially right so you know if any team wanted to sign him to a large contract the team the Lakers would have the opportunity to match that and be able to retain Austin Reeves no matter what didn't sound like Austin Reeves got any offers on the free agent market whatsoever. He had the opportunity to basically make double what he ended up making. Again, he's on a four-year, $56 million contract. I think that could have been a, a $96 million contract if he was offered the max based on you know his current contract. So I think it's pretty interesting that no team just tried to screw over the Lakers, like a team like the Spurs steps in and offers him a contract just to make the Lakers have to pay him a little bit more, the Pistons or whatever. 
but they're able to kind of get a bargain for a guy like Austin Reeves, who was far and away their third best player throughout this, you know, past postseason run. So I think that's really good value. Cam Reddish, I'm kind of a believer because I'm a Duke guy and I really liked watching him play in high school, but I do think he's just a bottom of the roster guy at this point in time. But uh, who knows? Maybe they can kind of reclaim Cam Reddish if they ever have any injuries during the regular season. You know, they did overpay for D'Lo a little bit as well. Two years, $37 million. He was, you know, pretty horrendous during the playoffs. But I do think a guy like D'Angelo uh, Russell, he has big name value. He has been an all-star at points in his career, or at least for one season with Brooklyn, he was an all-star, right? Um, I think he is a super talented player. He's obviously pretty frustrating and pretty up and down. But I do think that, you know, he might be worth it just to re-sign him because if he does start the season hot, he is going to be, you know, they don't have Dennis Schroeder. They did end up losing him. So they are going to need D'Angelo Russell to play real minutes for them. I think there's a chance if he ever gets blindingly hot from three, like he did during a couple months last season, that he can reclaim some of his trade value. And I think the Lakers would look to move on from him once he is able to build up his trade value a little bit. Even if things go south, at least it's only a two-year contract. And then the deal that I like the most is uh, signing Gabe Vincent to basically be their backup point guard on a three-year, $33 million deal. We all watched the playoffs this past year, right? We saw what Gabe Vincent did. Obviously, I think Caleb Martin kind of stole a lot of his shine in Miami because of how good he was um, during in that series against the Celtics. But silently, Gabe Vincent was amazing. He was really the main reason why they were able to survive without Tyler Harrow, right? He stepped into the Tyler Harrow role, and he completely exceeded all expectations of what you would have for an undrafted player in Gabe Vincent. Again, I thought he was actually going to get a slightly bigger payday, but again, I think he got, you know, he probably could have been making upwards of 15, 16, 18 million dollars a year other on in other places, but he took that tax to pay play for the Lakers 3 years, 33 million dollars, probably wanted to be in LA with LeBron and contend for a championship there. I really like those moves. Now, Again, it is worth noting they lost Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was a guy that I really liked, and part of the reason why I liked him so much is because he was such a good compliment to D'Angelo Russell. So it is worth noting, I think Schroeder signed, um, he signed somewhere else. I actually don't remember off the top of my head, but whatever. He's not going to be back in the Lakers this season, so Gabe Vincent is going to have to step in and, and be kind of that uh, you know, backup guard or, or you know, share the backcourt along with D'Angelo Russell. They are going to be losing some defense in the absence of Schroeder because he's a much better defender than Russell or Vincent, but... I really like the moves that the Lakers have done, right? You know, you look at the guys that they already have on their roster in LeBron and Anthony Davis, um, and you combine that with some real depth around them. I think this is far and away, heading into next season, this is far and away the best team the Lakers have had since they won the title in 2020. And I don't even think it's close, right? Again, I've said this before on the podcast, but I really do feel like after they won the bubble title, Rob Palinka kind of slipped into a coma and just made as many terrible decisions as humanly possible. Uh, and now it seems like he's finally woken up out of that. And you can call me crazy, but again, I think if, a big if, I know, if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, you can obviously still win a championship with those two guys as your best players. You do not need a third co-star. You don't need a you don't need a big three, right? Like, you just need two real guys that have been in battles, that have won championships before, and you just need as many as many solid perimeter defenders and shooters around those guys as possible. Now they have the shooting with Torian Prince, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, Gabe Vincent, even Cam Reddish. Those guys shoot the ball at a really high level. That's That's been the formula for building alongside LeBron his entire career. And then you get a guy like Jackson Hayes to back up Anthony Davis. I just really like the, the moves the Lakers have made, and partially I'm a little confused why they couldn't have, have worked around the, the fringes to to create a roster like this the past couple years. They obviously tried the Westbrook experiment and that didn't work out. But I love the moves that, you know, they're, they're kind of righting the wrongs of the past couple years. And I think the Lakers, if they get off to a hot start, 
I would expect them to be one of the top seeds in the Western Conference. I wouldn't expect them to start like 0-10 or however they started last season. That was insane. Uh, and I think they're going to be a really big contender in the Western Conference right from the gate. Let's move on to another team in the Houston Rockets, right? Again, this is the top five most interesting teams of free agency. So obviously the Rockets are at a very different point um, as far as the standings in the league compared to the teams we just talked about in the Lakers and the Mavericks. I know the Rockets were one of the worst teams in the NBA. They were certainly uh, bottom four. But the moves that they've made this offseason kind of reflect them not wanting to be at the bottom of the standings anymore. And let's talk more about it. Dylan Brooks, they signed to a four-year $80 million deal for Dylan Brooks. We will certainly be talking more about that in a second. They signed Jeff Green, championship member of the, the Denver Nuggets just a couple months ago, to a one-year deal worth $6 million. Uh, Aaron Holiday, bottom of the roster guy, to a $2 million deal. Jock Landell, the backup big man for Phoenix. He was a big white dude out there, kind of a stretch five. Uh, Four-year, $32 million deal for Landell, so pretty solid contract for him. They acquired Patty Mills in a trade with the Nets. He probably won't play much. And then they also, their big splash play was signing Fred Van Vliet to a three-year, $128 million contract. Let's start there with Van Vliet, because that is a shitload of money for Fred Van Vliet. I'm kind of torn on this, because I really like Fred Van Vliet, like, the, the person and the player, like, myself, right? Like, putting the contract and the value aside, I just am a short king myself, right? So I am partial to anybody in the NBA that can survive being six foot two or shorter. I think that that's so impressive to watch guys of that size be able to go out there, create their own baskets and whatnot, and, and score the ball at a really high level. And everyone seems to love Fran Van Vliet. He's an awesome story. I think he was an undrafted or, or certainly a late-round pick guy that has clearly cemented himself as an all-star in the league and, and somebody that's very wealthy, certainly over the next three years, right? So happy for the player. Don't know if he's worth that contract, though, right? Like, I still feel like point guard is probably the deepest position in the entire league when you compare it to some of the wings and some of the big men in the NBA. I just feel like you need a good point guard, right? You need a good point guard, and basically every single team you play has a really good point guard. If you, I were to, like, you know, look at all the best point guards in the NBA, I feel like Fred Van Vliet might be closer to 20 than he is at 10. I feel like he's more of that middle class than he is you know, that upper no-brainer all-star type. Like, again, he's really short, so it is tough for a guy his size to be able to play. You know, he's he's a scrappy defender. He's a tough defender, whatever. He can guard smaller guys. But there are teams, like, you know, when he plays a team like Orlando, it's like, who who is he going to cover at that point in time, right? It just kind of makes it for defensive mismatches. That being said, he is a guy that won a championship in 2019, right? Obviously, him and Kyle Lowry holding down that backcourt. I really like the player. I just, for three years, $128 million, I can't help but feel like he's more of a volume volume shooter, volume scorer than he was just a, a really efficient player. Like, again, playing under Nick Nurse in Toronto over the past couple of years, that guy plays his starters like 40, 40 minutes a game. So he's out there all the time. He has a green light. He has, you know, Toronto hasn't really been anything special whatsoever since Kawhi left. I just don't know what signing... Fred Van Vliet does, you know, how that elevates the ceiling of your team. I think it, it raises the floor a little bit. Obviously, they're not contending for a championship yet. And I think mainly the theme of what the names I just read is getting some adults in the room. Don't necessarily love the value for Fred Van Vliet, but I still like the player. Be interesting to see how it works out there in Houston. The Dylan Brooks one is funny, man. $20 million for four years is a lot higher uh, than what I would expect for Dylan Brooks, just based on, again, his market probably, you know, overcorrected too far south right after the Grizzlies lost because everybody hates the guy. Obviously, all the douchey shit he said about LeBron, and then he wouldn't show up to the press conferences, and then Memphis immediately announced that they were not re-signing him at the second the season ended, kind of painting him as a scapegoat, right? 
So I thought that that was pretty funny that, you know, obviously he was going to sign to another team, but $20 million for Dylan Brooks is a lot. I know he, he provides that, like, identity, right? Like, okay, he could be a culture setter. Obviously, Ime Udoka is the new coach of the Rockets. He prides defense. He provides, you know, he, you know, is certainly a tough guy himself. I think it's important to have a culture setter and, and it's somebody that takes pride in defense in Dylan Brooks. But how many, like, he takes so many awful shots. Like, that's the story with Dylan Brooks. Is Ime going to be, like, you know, ready to blow that guy's head off with how many late-game shots that he takes down the stretch that are just going to be terrible? Like, I know that they don't have a ton of, you know, they have a lot of guys that are used to having the green light to do whatever they want. And having a guy like Dylan Brooks there, he's not going to let Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. do whatever they want this upcoming season. So I think that's going to be really fascinating. Again, the Jeff Green signing, it's important to get championship pedigree in your locker room. So I think that's interesting. But... Just in general, man, it, it seems like the Rockets are are tired of of being at the in the bottom of the barrel. They're like, hey, I know we have all these young players. They have Jalen Green. They have Kevin Porter Jr. They have Jabari Smith. They have Tari Eason, right? They have a lot of young guys that they, you know, have spent a lot of draft capital on that have just been had the ability to just do whatever they want, right? We're going to play our young guys as much as possible. We're just going to let them go out there and figure it out. You know, Jalen Green has been in that role for about two years now. You know, I, I mainly talk about Jalen Green because he's been kind of the face of the team over the past two years. But again, like that that's not the case anymore. Like if those guys aren't producing, they're not gonna play. Like they they paid Fred Van Vliet a shitload of money. He's gonna be out there. They paid Dylan Brooks a lot of money. He's gonna be out there. Even Jock Landell, that's a solid contract, right? Um Shangun too, who I should mention is a young guy I really like there. So, you know, it seems like they're trying to build build it up and, and, and figure it out in Houston, right? There's going to be guys that are young that fall out of the rotation entirely, right? Like is Kevin Porter Jr., if he's not, you know, step in and, and you know, really share the ball and do the things that Ime wants him to do, there's not going to be even any minutes for him whatsoever. So, you know, I think it, this could eventually kind of reduce some of the, the trade value of some of their younger guys that might be inflated because their stats look good because of how many minutes they played but we're going to see the stats of the young guys in that team decrease and we are going to see the win total rise a little bit too and you know again I wouldn't I, I think that my fear for the Rockets is this would kind of put them you know closer to like the purgatory zone than it would like you know the ascending team zone right like it is important to have veterans on the team but like if you're paying all this money to you know you're paying star money to guys that aren't stars um, on a team that doesn't have a ton of young talent, not that doesn't make a lot of money. I think that that might put them in a tough spot, but I do respect them being like, look, we've had, we've basically been a daycare for the past couple of years. And now we're figuring out, we're getting some adults in the room and we're going to try to see how quickly we can turn into a solid team in the NBA. So Houston is definitely trying to, to take a step in a different direction this upcoming season. Moving on, we have to talk about, again, one of the other teams at the top in the Phoenix Suns, right? I know we talked about the Suns a lot last episode when we went through the Bradley Beal trade, so it's not worth getting into all that again. But they were able to work around the margins, right? These guys are totally at the salary cap. If there's any team in the league that has, you know, they certainly have to have the highest payroll in the entire NBA at this point in time, right? Um, and so it's pretty interesting to see how they've been able to work around the margins here to fill out the rest of this roster. They sign, I'll just kind of go through the list here. Keita Bates-Diop, he's a bottom-of-the-roster guy to a two-year deal. Drew Eubanks to a two-year deal. He was over in Portland. Um, Eric Gordon is a very notable signing. Of course, he was in the Clippers for a while there, and, and he was on the Rockets for the past couple years, ended up playing on the Clippers toward the end of last season um, to a two-year, $6 million contract to Aaron Gordon, so that's really impressive. They were able to maintain uh, and re-sign Damian Lee. Uh, they signed Metu, the backup big man for the Kings, who was really solid for the Kings last season. Uh, they re-signed Josh Okoji for a two-year deal. Um, of course, their defensive stopper, if you will, and a guy that was in their 
uh, oftentimes in their five-man closing lineup toward the end of last season. And then they signed Yuta Wannabe, <laughs> the shooter uh, from the Brooklyn Nets, who actually was on fire to start last season for the Nets uh, and has some uh, solid size, you know, basically at six foot eight as well. So I think it's pretty interesting to note that basically all those guys were signed to basically, you know, I think Aaron Gordon made the most money at a two-year, $6 million contract, and everybody else was basically making, you know, $2 million a year. So they worked around the margins, but I do think that they got some real talent. Mainly the ones I'm most excited about, of course, Eric Gordon. That guy can still shoot and score the ball at a really high level. People really weren't talking about him because he was just wasting away as like literally the lone adult in the room in Houston over the past couple seasons. Um, but again, I think that's a, I, I'm pretty surprised that, you know, a team couldn't have paid Eric Gordon at least a little bit more money than two years, six million, but maybe he just wanted to go there and contend for a title after, you know, again, wasting all those years of his career, uh, just on terrible teams in Houston. He wanted to contend for a championship. So that's a great pickup for them. Um, getting Josh Okoji was, I think, mandatory because there are going to be matchups where, look, I know Phoenix can score the hell out of the ball with Beal and Booker and Durant and now Eric Gordon, too. But there's going to be a lot of times where you just need to get some stops. And Josh Okoji is one of the few guys in that, on that team that will take on the assignment of guarding the best team, the other team's best offensive player. He can be their lockdown perimeter guy. And I think Okoji is going to do a really great job at that on a super cheap contract. And then they just bring in more shooting in, in Utah. I think he'll be really solid for them as well. Um, I, you know, again, I think it's just really crafty work by them. Obviously, Phoenix is somewhat of a desirable location to, to play in. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty popular city. It's a growing market. The new owner is obviously willing to, to spend, and, and they are trying to compete for a championship. They have a lot of offense on that team. It still, you know, begs to ask the question, where is the defense, right? Outside of the Akoshi signing, it, it really doesn't seem like they have any perimeter defense whatsoever. But in general, I thought it was really interesting to see how, you know, Phoenix was able to work around the margins. Signing Damian Lee was solid. Signing Metu was solid. Signing Akoji was great. Signing Eric Gordon was incredible. And getting you to want to be as another shooter. Really like the moves that Phoenix has made over the past couple weeks. It'll just be interesting to see if they can get stops when they need it the most. Uh, come playoff time next season. And then finally, the last team that I thought was really interesting with their moves that they've made over the past couple weeks is the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? Again, a team I was really high on. They obviously disappointed in a major way, uh, losing to the Knicks in the first round in embarrassing fashion. I think they only won one game in that series, lost to the Knicks in five despite having home court. So here are the moves that Cleveland decided to make. Ty Jerome, uh, backup guard, you know, bottom of the roster guy at this point, two-year, $4 million contract. That's kind of whatever. They re-signed Karis LeVert, two years, $32 million. They signed Georges Niang from the Sixers on a three-year, $26 million contract. Gross. <laughs> Max Struess joins the Cavs in a sign-in trade on a four-year, $63 million deal as well. So this is this is what the Cavs' problem was, right? It basically looked like Allen and Mobley playing alongside each other in that series against the Knicks looked terrible, right? Because obviously they have a really talented offensive backcourt in uh, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Those two guys, there's not a lot of que I know Mitchell was really bad against the Knicks, but there's still not a lot of question that those guys are, are special talents, can score the ball. But they basically had two guys on the court at all times that couldn't get a rebound over Mitchell Robinson, for one, and they also just had no real offensive game whatsoever come playoff time in Mobley and Allen, right? I thought that, you know, that was still going to be their core four guys, right? That that was going to be the lineup, and then their fifth guy would be somebody that could just play the wing position, defend on the perimeter, and knock down open shots, and then they'd be golden. 
But frankly, it was so alarming what they did during that series against the Knicks that I think Mobley is going to be out there no matter what. But I now think there are some real questions about Jared Allen. So the positive thing about them signing a guy like Niang, who has some size, and Struess that obviously provides some shooting, is that they have more flexibility that if they want to play Mobley at the five, like, they have Mobley on the court. They're still going to have Garland and Mitchell on the court. They can play a guy like Niang to play the four, and then they can have guys like Karis LeVert or Isaac Okoro step into that wing position, or Max Strews for that matter. And then they can run uh, somewhat of a smaller lineup with Mobley at the five, have a little bit more shooting out there, and I think that might very well end up being their best lineup. That is the positive. The, the negative, I could say, is like they still don't have that one answer to who is who is that fifth guy, though, if we do stick with our, our big man lineup of Mobley and Allen, right? Is it going to be Karis LeVert? Is it going to be Isaac Okoro? Is it going to be Georges Niang? Is it going to be Max Struess? I don't know, and I don't think they know either, right? They lost Seti Osman. I think he's in San Antonio these days. So uh, they moved on from him, so that's one less cook in the kitchen. But I think that that just tells you that, like, they just, they don't know. They don't know. They're, they're in this process of figuring out. They have no idea what their best fives is, and they're trying to figure it out. One thing I can say with confidence, I don't like Georges Niang. I think he's really overrated defensively. I know he works hard, and he's got a big body, but I don't think he's going to be the defensive stopper that he needs, and I don't think he provides nearly enough on the defensive, or on the offensive end to make up for his lack of defense to be that fifth man. I really can't stand Max Struess. Like, I know Miami has, you know, basically kicked our ass here and there over the past couple years. But, like, man, like, I'm just, I'm still not scared of Max Struess. I'm sorry. I'm not. I know he's a slightly better, like, defender than you would think, right? He's a he's better defender than a guy like Duncan Robinson, and he, he works hard. But I'm not impressed with his defense. He shot, like, five of, like, 31 in the NBA Finals. He shit his pants on the biggest stage. Like, just because I know he's played in a lot of big games, he's played in NBA Finals, and the Cavs could go for somebody with a little bit more experience, but is Max Struess really that guy? Like, I, that just seems like an obvious overpay and just an effect of a team making a Cinderella run to the NBA Finals. Um, don't like the Max Struess signing, and I just, overall, I, I just don't love the moves for the Cavs. I can't lie. I like Karis LeVert. I think he's solid for a two-year, $32 million contract. I think that that's decent value, and I think he's still the favorite to be their best option in that, in that you know, kind of fifth lineup spot, and then they obviously have the ability to throw Niang at the four, but individually I'm not super high on any of the guys that they signed and I think that those signings just illustrate that Cleveland does not know what they want to do they do not know who their best five is and I think that they are pretty rattled after the loss of the Knicks as they should be and finally I just wanted to run through a couple other notable signings that you know for teams that didn't quite make the most interesting teams list but let's just kind of run through it first and foremost Draymond Green is back in Golden State on a four-year hundred million dollar contract Again, that makes sense. That's kind of what I was expecting after, especially after they made the decision to move on from Jordan Poole, which we talked about last episode. Felt like they kind of sided with Draymond and that it was all signs were pointing to him being back. So he's back. I'm happy about it. I'm excited to continue to watch uh, Steph, Draymond, and hopefully Clay Thompson as well continue to play together for the remainder of their career. Four years, $100 million seems like perfectly fair value for a guy like Draymond Green. You know, is he going to be worth $25 million a year in that fourth year of his contract? Probably not, but I think it's well worth it to maximize the remaining years you have of Steph Curry's prime, and, and you want to have Draymond alongside of him. So really like that signing for Golden State. Bruce Brown, four years, or four years, two years, $45 million to sign with the Pacers. I thought that was really interesting, right? Bruce Brown was honestly one of the most coveted names in all of free agency during this period. I know it's a relatively weak free agent class. That being said, of course, he just won a championship with the Nuggets. He showed how 
flexible he is and how versatile he is, right? He obviously was basically a backup forward for the Nets the previous season. Then he he ran the backup point guard spot for the Nuggets and honestly was one of the Nuggets' five best players in the finals, and it wasn't even close. He was far more effective than Michael Porter Jr. was against the Heat. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see where he was going to land financially. You know, $20 million or, or $22 million a year for two years is solid. I think that that's a pretty high number. You would have obviously liked to see him, you know, get a longer contract if you're Bruce Brown, but he's kind of betting on himself taking a lot of, you know, high annual value, um, you know, for a, a short period and kind of betting on himself that'll get paid again. I just thought it was interesting that he didn't end up with a contender and he just ended up with Indiana. Obviously, they've kind of been on the mend and made a couple signings and they should be a little bit more competitive next season. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that so many of the championship teams would be foaming at the mouth to get a guy like Bruce Brown and he just kind of takes his money and goes to Indiana. But hopefully he can set help set a culture there. I thought that was kind of a fun signing. Um, you know, the Bucks they made the decision to basically run it back, right? They re-signed Chris Middleton to a three-year $102 million deal. Brooke Lopez to a two-year $48 million year. This just definitely does feel like the last dance for the Bucks, And I really only say that because I'm not worried about Giannis. I think Giannis could age solid, right? I'm not really worried about his age yet, right? I think he's like 29 or, or 28 or 29 or something like that, right? I'm not saying Giannis is suddenly going to fall off a cliff, but it is worth mentioning that, look, he plays for the oldest team in the NBA, right? Like, that is a fact, and they just continue to cement how old they are, right? They haven't brought in a ton of young talent. Um, but I do think it makes sense, right? You got a guy like Giannis, you want to maximize his prime. You don't, you know, if you are going to move on from a guy like Chris Middleton or Brooke Lopez, like if you, you know, sign them and then trade them, like those guys only have value to other contenders, right? So you'd have to, you know, negotiate a trade to trade with another contender, which always makes it trickier rather than having a contending team, you know, trading with a, a, a younger team that's just trying to rebuild, right? Um, so I think it is worth noting that, you know, they, they're running it back. I think this is kind of the last, the next two years are probably the last run with how the Bucks are currently constructed. They'll always have a chance as long as Giannis is, is there, right? Uh, but it is worth noting that they're, they're sticking to the script. They're going to have Middleton again. They're going to have, uh, you know, Drew Holiday again. They're going to have Giannis again. They're going to have Brooke Lopez. I think the amounts are pretty high for, for Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez because Brooke Lopez is like 34. I know he was in the Defensive Player of the Year uh, discussions, but, you know, he's a, a candidate to basically fall off a cliff this season or next season. I think he'll be solid with how much he's adapted his game. Um, and Chris Middleton just hasn't been healthy really at all the past couple of years, right? So three years, $102 million is a little daunting, but it does make sense. I don't think they had a different obvious move to bring in younger talent, so it makes sense that they would try to run it back. And then finally, we have a, a string of max contract extensions to talk about. Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, and Desmond Bain all received maximum rookie uh, contract extensions, right? Uh, I think Anthony Edwards, I think that's a no-brainer, right? I think that's the most obvious one of the group. Tyrese Halliburton, all-star this past year. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially for a team in Indiana. Some people push back on the LaMelo deal a little bit, right? He got a max contract extension, but I think it makes sense. You're, it's, it's fucking Charlotte, right? Like, who, who else is Charlotte going to pay? If there's a team that needs somebody to put on the posters, it is Charlotte, especially after they made the decision to draft Brandon Miller and not Scoot Henderson, who has a little bit less charisma to him. I think LaMelo Ball will live up to that contract, um, so I think that's pretty solid. The only one of that group I don't exactly love is the Desmond Bain contract. I get it. You know, Bain was really good for them, especially with Ja being banged up in the playoffs. Like, he was pretty good in that first series against the Lakers. Obviously, they still fell short. Bain, to me, is just a guy that, you know, he's not... I don't think he's a max contract player, point blank, period. I think even if he gets better a little bit, I don't think he'll ever really be worthy of a max contract. That being said, he is 
damn good. So it's hard for a guy like Desmond Bain to, you know, when you're at that level where you're just about max contract, you, you see less and less of like the middle class in the NBA anymore. Like for him to just get like, you know, two years like or, or five years, 160, like, you know, maybe they could have negotiated something like that, but nope, they offered him the max amount of money. I get it. He's homegrown. He's been really good for Memphis, but that did seem a little high to me. And, and Desmond Bain is really the only one of that group of four that I really wasn't a big fan of, but they're sticking to their guns. They have John Morant. They have Desmond Bain. They have Jaron Jackson. They want to, to run it back with that big three. Uh, we'll see how that ends up playing out for Memphis. Of course, before I let you guys get out of here, it would be pretty criminal if I didn't give you one parting, you know, segment on Celtics talk, right? Uh, let's go through it. I know they haven't had the most impactful week after making the Kristaps Porzingis trade right around the NBA draft, but let's talk about what they did do, right? First and foremost, the Grant Williams trade. We touched upon it earlier. It stinks losing Grant Williams. That's that's first and foremost, right? I know that we were able to at least coop, recoup something for that. We only got a handful of second-round picks. Now, it's not like we had Grant Williams and just shipped him away for a couple seconds. He was a free agent, so and it was a sign-and-trade with Dallas. So the fact that we were able to recoup anything for him is, is better than him just outright signing with another team. Um, obviously, we were able to just get a handful of seconds for him, so not a, a, a huge return on the investment there, but... It really stinks losing Grant Williams, right? Like, again, all the reasons I said I liked it for the Mavs are the reasons I don't like it for the Celtics. He's been in big games. He was a massive part of that team that went to the finals last year, right, with his massive Game 7, with him making, like, seven or eight three-pointers against the Milwaukee Bucks in Game 7. That was insane. Um, he plays really good defense. He provides positional flexibility and versatility. Um, I like Grant Williams. I know he's kind of a dorky guy. He says and does a lot of dumb shit, but I think he's the juice is worth the squeeze, especially for four years, $54 million. You know, I, I think if it, if we could have paid that, I think we would have, right? We're right up against that, you know, first or second apron, or at least we will be in short order, um, assuming that we end up paying Jalen Brown, which we'll talk about in a second. So it just stinks. It stinks to lose Grant Williams without getting a real asset in return. You know, we did go out and sign O'Shea Brissett. He was a backup wing for the Pacers last season. Um, obviously didn't play in many meaningful minutes being Indiana, being in Indiana the, the first couple years of his career. Amazing jumper in 2K, though. Like, money 2K jumper for what it's worth. So maybe he can <laughs> help space the floor for the Celtics. Don't know if that'll exactly carry over. But I'm starting to get a little worried about things with the Celtics, right? I was pretty high on, on the initial Kristaps Porzingis trade because of all the things I talked about last season. Again, just to recap, or not last season, last episode. But again, just to recap, you know, we had four solid guards and we only had two solid big men. So us trading Marcus Smart, I know you, you take the emotion out of it. You trade him away for a center that could raise the ceiling of the team. It makes sense positionally, right? However, we have no depth whatsoever behind Tatum and Brown. And especially without Grant Williams, like I really don't know who steps in and plays. Like we might need Brissett to play immediately if we don't make any other moves, right? Like it's really scary. We're not going to end up playing our second round pick. I'm sorry. I'm sure Jordan Walsh is a decent player and whatever, but second round picks do not step onto the court in their first year for teams that are contending for a championship and immediately play real minutes. It just doesn't really happen. Uh, so I wouldn't expect to get much of any production there. But the main reason I'm so nervous is it's again, it's July 7th and we have not gotten any news whatsoever about a Jalen Brown extension. I don't know if they're going back and forth and nickel and diming Jalen on, on incentives or uh, finding a way to, to kind of br bring him down a couple percentage points or whatever. But again, I'm firmly in the camp. We've made our splash play. We, we're going into next season with a different roster, a different core. We moved on from one of our guys in Marcus Smart. I don't think we should get cute with Jalen Brown. Even the fact that we haven't offered him the contract within the first week of free agency 
could come back to bite us in the ass with the in the era of player empowerment movement that we are. Like I would at this point in time, like with Jalen Brown already feeling slighted that we were we had him in trade talks with with uh, Kevin Durant this past last off season, right? And then we we kind of drag our feet to sign him to a max contract. I don't want to go into next season with him being pissed off at the front office. That's the last thing that I want to see. So it's kind of getting scary for us, right? Like I really want them to, to just get this shit over with, offer Jalen Brown the max contract, and move on, right? Get that piece settled. That's first and foremost. And then secondly, we need to be able to work around the fringes to recoup another player off the bench to play the wing position behind Tatum and Brown. And frankly, I'd still like to see us add another big as well. You look at our team and you look at the guys that we have. We have three guards, right? You have Derek White, who will start for us. Brogdon and Pritchard, that'll probably come off the bench. I'm really comfortable with the guard position, right? You got Tatum and Brown on the wings, but really nobody coming off the bench beside them to play real minutes unless this Brissett guy ends up being an impact player right away. And at the big man position, you got Al Horford, you got Rob Williams, and you got Kristaps Porzingis. Two of those guys are extremely injury prone, and the other one is like 36 going on 37. So I would like to still get another young big man to eat up minutes in the front court rotation, especially during the regular season. I think if all those guys are healthy in the playoffs that we have a fine big man rotation for playoffs, but... Need another wing, desperately. Need another big man to, to round out this roster. And I would expect some moves to come for the Celtics, right? I think they need to address those problems, especially with losing Grant Williams and especially with us not signing Jalen Brown. I don't know if, if we have any other, you know, big moves in the making, but I don't want another big move. I think we made our big move. I think I'm happy with the team that we have. We just need to do kind of what Phoenix did and, and do what these other you know teams like the Lakers have done, work around the margins, find a way to round up the roster with a couple extra veterans that can step in and make impacts off the bench, and I'll feel a lot better about it. But I am starting to get nervous because we've in the past week we just you know lost one of our core rotation guys leave for basically nothing in return. We still haven't signed Jalen Brown, and we still have a couple holes in the roster. So sorry to end things on kind of a bad note for the Celtics. It's, it's not necessarily bad yet. I'm just, I'm starting to get a little nervous about the Celtics. That's all. I hope we end up, you know, at least making some positive headlines within the next 48 hours or so and just offer Jalen Brown his damn contract. Hopefully we get that signed and we can, you know, move forward and build around Tatum and Brown over the next six or five or six years at this point. So with that, guys, I think that basically covers it. You know, busy week. I think we covered all the notable signings, my five most interesting teams of free agency. Of course, those teams being the Mavericks, Lakers, Rockets, Suns, and Cavs. Covered the Dame Lillard trade request and why that is terrible for the league. Uh, covered the James Harden trade request volume three. So I think that there was plenty of content for you guys to enjoy right there. So with that, I should be back to my normal schedule. Be back in Texas next week. So I should be coming at you with... Um, kind of the remaining, you know, free agency headlines. Hopefully we can get a request, uh, you know, an end of the Dame saga or the Harden saga. This could go on for months or it could, you know, this could be old news come like tomorrow. We really don't know. So hopefully we'll have an update on those two uh, tenuous situations in our next episode. And then we'll get a, a final recap of free agency and any other news and updates that come within the next, you know, couple days or so. So with that, before I let you guys get up out of here, be sure to follow at Words with Wallace on everything, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that. Uh, be sure to follow, rate, and review the show. At least download the episodes. That does a lot of good stuff for me uh, as far as my analytics go and whatnot. And I will talk to you guys next week. Peace. Peace.